Hey, dickheads! We're back with a special bonus episode. This is kind of a weird one because we're breaking down a work by another author, not Philip K. Dick. But we have a very specific reason for doing that. We're doing a story called A Last Thinking by Harry Bates. Now, this came to our attention when Phil K. Dick mentioned this story in a, he was, it was an essay that he was writing while tripping balls. Uh, basically it's a, it's basically a whole essay where he was just on acid and he just randomly wrote things down. And one of the things he said was a last thinking was the perfect science fiction story that it stayed with him since his childhood. So this story was a hugely influential story on a young Philly KD. Um, so before I just really quickly want to introduce to you who Harry Bates is, and then all three of us read the story and then we're just going to get into it. So Harry Bates is most known as the editor of Astounding Science Fiction and which, and then Analog Magazine. So he for almost, um, I think 30, 40 years, maybe even longer edited short stories before he handed off Astounding to John W. Campbell, who's most known for writing the short story Who Goes There, right? So, but Harry Bates' most famous work of fiction, his own fiction, was a story called Farewell to the Master, which was the basis for the 1953 Robert Wise classic The Day the Earth Stood Still, Fatu Burada Niktu. So, uh, that is the story he's most well known for. But today we're talking about a last thinking. So, do, who wants to introduce what the general, give a synopsis of this story? Well, of course I will. Okay. All right. Good call, Larry. So there's this, uh, this guy and his buddy is a world class scientist, sort of Einstein squared. And it turns out that the buddy Einstein squared has gone off the rails, given up science, and now he's just womanizing, drinking, going to the beach, having a party, enjoying his life. So he decides that he needs to talk to his friend, right? It makes sense. So he gets another friend of theirs, a mutual friend of theirs, and they meet at a restaurant, and they talk about it, and scientists, you know, Einstein dude is like, hey, you know what? I don't give a shit about being smart anymore. I'm going to be dumb. And plus, I'm going to kill someone. And so the friends are like, well, all right, you're kind of weird. So (laughs) then he brings them back to his place, tells them, starts to tell them this story about time travel and how this woman from the future came to the past to see what it was like in New York City. She was basically a time tourist. Just wanting to see, shut up, David. Just wanted to see what it was like sixties in New York in the sixties. I really like this new trend. And so then uh, he's like, he he's like, oh, the past is great. You loved it. Take me to the future. I'll see your world. Everything will be cool. And she said no. And then he goes, well, what if I do this? And, and then. He convinces her to take him there for one day. To the which future. Turns out to be three days. I love which how Larry... turns out to be almost forever because he sees this world where the world itself is beautiful, but human beings have become disgusting, 
wasted away creatures with giant egg heads and tiny snappable necks. And he hates it. He hates them. He hates they everything live in a about box. Them. And I love how move. Larry encapsulated three of the most boring pages of the story with eh, meh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so he decides, uh, you know, being the man of action that he is, that he will just have sex with this sort of what we will call <laughs> in the future. She is considered a a retarded person. Uh-oh. Which, Uh-oh. But she okay. is smarter than he is, and smarter than anyone in our time. Is she considered... Yes, she is. Abusive? She is a premature, and I can't believe... I, I, I can't remember what the term was they used. I C- thought... Cephalo- cephalitis? Oh, okay. Yeah, they... I wasn't sure if it was supposed to... Met, if they were just trying to kind of say what we would now call... Autistic? Or developmentally yeah, it, it, disabled. It, it might not, it might not be, you know, we, I don't even know if they had autistic back then. No, they did not. But, uh, she would be considered autistic to them. That's why I said what we would now call. Yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. And then, uh, she has to think about banging this dude. <laughs> and, and he's like, uh, yeah, but I love you, baby. And she's like, well, court me. You have to marry me. You have to do all those things. And he's like, dude, this sucks. Your people are ugly. We have to kill your people first. And so <laughs> what a weird way to court someone. Everyone in the future. There's only like 16, 30 people, something like that. I can't remember the exact number. I think it was around like 20. Yeah, he kills all of them except for her. And then he tries to get her into the sack. It doesn't work. She gets a big head and goes into a box. Then he brings his friends to the future, and he wastes her. Snaps her neck in the dark. And the two friends run Wasn't away. the idea, though, to bring her back to his time? Bring Pearl back? I think that's what no. he wanted well, to do, but initially, then she, she refuted yeah. it and said, no, I'm... I'm I mean, we'll, it's we'll, it's, we'll it's a really details. asinine assumption that he makes to just kind of show up in someone else's world. And yeah. act like he knows better. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It which, is. Which makes perfect sense when he says, you know, I'm done with being smart because obviously he realized he screwed this up big time. So yeah. he's not that smart, even if he's a genius. But I think he develops a kind of a God complex by the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because he, even though they're all intellectually above him, by the end of the story, he's he's killed them all. So it's it's that kind of weird, like... Oh yeah! Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh shit! Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll, we'll put that on the uh, at the beginning. Well, Womp, we're we're yeah. breaking down the story. Here's the thing: the story is hard to find. So, um, yeah, find it, read it. Yeah, you could probably find a PDF of it online somewhere. Yeah, um, but it is. He he goes with common sense. He thinks that his common sense is so much superior to theirs, to their you know lofty goals of philosophy and whatnot. Yeah. That he is the superior race. Yeah. So, um, some things about the, the writing of the story. Um, I, I, I think that the intro, it, it has a little bit of a Lovecraftian feel as far as it, it starts off with that. This. It makes me want to take off like a fucking nap because man, I struggled so hard to get into this story. I absolutely agree with you, David. Yeah. And I, I like that style. I like the sit down. By the fireplace, let's tell a story. Style of beginning. Well, I didn't. Story. Say, I didn't say I liked it. I said that's how it starts. Um, oh, I'm saying I liked it. Yeah, I hated it. 
Yeah. I love that stuff. I'm kind of in between, but... So it starts off with a strictly confidential from to... There's some letters. There's, like... Some kind of memo. I didn't like the memo stuff. Yeah, the memo stuff, I was kind of like, eh. But... But then it has the, yeah, let's, let's tell, let me tell you a story about all these things that are happening. And, and, um, one thing I think we should note too is I don't know if we mentioned that this story was written in 1935. Okay. So this was the Great Depression. And when we just before the podcast, we looked up what was happening in 1935 besides the Great Depression. This was the year that paperback books were invented, which blew me away. And, uh, you know, my father is 82 years old. He was born in 1936. So this, this story is 80 plus years old. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things. And at times it really, the language in it really feels that old. Yeah. There's like a recording device that they says, let me get out my dictograph. There's something about radio. There's a mention of radio, which would obviously in a more modern story be TV. Um, and since the time traveler goes back to the 60s, it's interesting that they went back to the 60s, which is 30 years in the future from when the story was being written. So those are those are some kind of interesting things about about it. And I think that the gee whiz factor of reading a science fiction story from 1935, which, you know, is, you know, the year the 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 Nazis started an air force. Right. So. I mean, this was years before the invasion of Poland. This is this is a really old story, and I think I, I gave it a little bit of leeway just because of how old it was. I don't know if you I don't, guys. I don't feel I don't feel it needed any leeway. I thought it was just a really good good story. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it definitely got better as it went along, and I know I, Anthony, you felt that way, right? Like that the story got better. Yes. Once yeah. the once the uh, girl, what is what was her name? Pearl. Pearl. Once Pearl was introduced, is that? No, it was once we kind of once. What's we, his name? I can't remember his name. It's the main character. Yeah, Einstein squared. Yeah, <laughs> once he kind of starts explaining like what's going on, and he takes them back to you know he wants to show them what's happening, and one guy's like, "Yeah, let's do it," and the other guy's like, "I don't know." Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I I actually don't know. Were they friends? Because the way they talk about him in the beginning of this story is like he he's kind of like this person they don't know but they've heard about. I don't yeah. know if they were friends the, uh, beforehand. The yes. two dudes that show up are they but... went to college together. Okay, yeah. And then um, the the third guy was a mutual friend of both of them. I I I think everything that happens once they like get back to Einstein Squared's you know laboratory house wherever, I find all of that pretty interesting and fascinating. And kind of the general philosophy behind this story I thought was interesting. Right. Yeah, and but I, think... I just don't like the kind of. Pages and pages of expository detail, kind of like just explaining what's kind of going on. It's a lot of setup that I felt yeah. could have been told throughout their experience with him. I well, think, one and, of the and things- again, that's I, I think that's the era showing its age. I'm not knocking it for that. No, no, I'm just giving I, a I know you're not. To why I, I didn't I'm like saying it that as much in these older stories, you find a lot more of that sort of expositional sure, I material. Call, I call them like once upon a timers. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's, it, one of the things that I think is strong for me in this story is that there's a lot of really intense and thoughtful ideas. And so, and I think that for 1935, it's really amazing to think about this story where, you know, a character tra- goes 
thousands of years into the future and all of humanity is living in one box, <laughs> you know, with that, they're living mostly a pure mental life is a really interesting concept and really, I don't know, kind of. Well, if it was time. written today, it would be called cultural appropriation. Right. Because it's a white man basically writing about the, the, uh, white man version of the Swami experience. Mm-hmm. in India and places like that. So well, I, I don't know if it would – I liked it in that sense that in the era because people didn't know pretty much anything about foreign culture in that sense, the Indian culture specifically. But he's trying to tell this story and sort of lifting them above other human beings – but at the same time, explaining what they're actually doing right right then in that in that time period, right? Well, and you know, I think that there's a there's a lot of really interesting things. I mean, I made lots of notes, and I'm kind of we've kind of already talked about many of these things. But I think one of the interesting aspects of this story too is that you have Pearl, who's lived a purely mental life in the future, right? Yeah. And is going back and basically experiencing having a body for the first time by traveling back in time. So I don't know if they really mentioned well, what, what. Wait, what do you mean by purely mental life? Well, because. They, they all have bodies. They have bodies, but they, but they, she talks about how they meditate most of the time. Yeah. And that they. Okay. Li- uh, so you're, you're talking about the experience. Yeah. And so. Meditating. What the story talks about is that they live mostly in this box, right? And that most of their experience has – that they're not out in nature. They're not out living these lives. That they're mostly living – and in a way, this would be kind of like a precursor to like kind of a cyber existence because they're living this meditative kind of pure mental mental state. And so you have this part in the story – where says you have no idea you've you've seen pearl in new york tasting love six nights to the very hour when after she first appeared to me i stood again on the round base of the time traveler and this time i accompanied her forward in time i did not know how far in the future but i estimated it was around three million years it was actually millions of years okay but so that that six nights that she had to be human, they were kind of like eating at restaurants, partying, listening listen- to music, yeah, radio and and all that. And she experienced Shakespeare and all she this. She could other have stuff. danced all night. Yeah, and and so I think I think what they're what he's trying to do is is say something about how we could be all evolved, but we're missing out on all these experiences, and and I think. I kind of think that was a neat uh, part of the story because all th- I, I still think that at its root, it's a, about a culture clash. Sure, about a, a modern culture clash, not not just the the science fiction version of the culture clash in the story. But I think also the story. And I think that's important to influencing Dick's writing, right? Well, because we'll, he does that a lot. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But ultimately, I think the story is is about what is human and what is humanity. So I think that that also touches on PKD themes, but right. I think there's this quote, uh, with the quality we have, at least we've achieved simplicity. And in the apotheosis of humanity, these two things are the ultimates. That's what they're saying in the future. They're like, they're basically telling this dude like, Hey, you know, you may think our life 
I think Charles is his name or Charles or Miles. Anyways, he goes to the future and he thinks, oh my God, it's so horrible. You, you just live in this, this solitary life. And they're basically saying, you know, Hey, we achieved the ultimate. Right. Um, and, and so there's this idea that in the future, this mental state is what, what makes, uh, people human. Yeah. They fully abandon society basically. Right. And culture and, and, uh, outside growth to become strictly mental creatures. Yeah. And, and so there, there's another thing later where it says pure living and high thinking. Right. So, and, and so the question is, is that if you had the chance to live in a purely mental state, um, would that be something that, you know, you would see as an evolution of humanity, you know, and, Clearly, Einstein Square does not. You know? Yeah, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And they call it uh, genus uh, Homo. Genus Homo is the yeah. It's just Homo sapiens. Homo sapiens. Yeah. And at the time, I made up my mind to destroy those little monsters. So terminate genus Homo. I expected to bring Pearl back to live out her years in our time. That. That was the disposition I planned for her. <laughs> nice. Yeah, her future did not work out that way, but to put it badly, Mother Nature made the most ridiculous ass of all of all time out of me. But remember, injustice to me, but the current events got changed after my decision. So He's such an asshole. He yeah. is a major asshole. Yeah. And that that's the culture clash part of it, you know. And, he does enjoy breaking necks, though. That's... <laughs> right. So, um... Guilty, snap. Okay, Guilty we got snap. two more parts to do for this short story, which is one is our final judgments, and then we'll talk about how it influenced PKD. So, um, I would um, give this story maybe four... Um, four ums? Four... Uh, um, Zing. <laughs> four uh brain boxes out of nice. five um no nope. overall no anthony no nope. um i'll give it three and a half brain boxes out of five i i enjoyed wow, three it and a half. i like the philosophy kind of behind it um and i enjoy I, I really did get into it the more the story goes on but i i just it was really hard for me to get into yeah, yeah. well right. i'm gonna give it three because I rarely get to read stories like this anymore. When I was when I was younger, I read all these stories, like the Lovecraft stories, like David was saying, that had that sort of setup of guys around a table trading stories. You know, Spider Robinson does that in a more modern sense, but uh, the that classic style of of what what do you call it, Anthony? Once, Once upon, upon a timers. Times. Yeah, once upon yeah, a timers. The once upon a timers. I rarely read that stuff anymore, so I enjoyed the nostalgia yeah. of the story, and I really enjoyed the first part uh, when they were gathered around talking more than I did the action part where he was snapping necks. <laughs> I didn't even like register the snapping necks very much when I read it. Some, like, of, I mean, some of the scenes that's, that's cold, David. I really enjoyed. <laughs> he took it. out all of humanity. Well, I took out that he, I took out the genocide, yeah, I guess, aspect <laughs> of it, but and, not the physical actions. Anyways, go ahead. 
Um, I just enjoyed a lot of the scenes of him and Pearl clashing, uh, of her trying to understand why you would spend so much of your time kind of engaging in these actions that we as a society, I don't know, as regard humans, as important, regard as important, yeah. like drinking, dancing, because to her, there's no like intellectual value in it. Right. And in, in a way, I think that scares him. And, and that's why he responds so violently later on in the book or sorry, the, the, the story. Yeah. Um, but those scenes I thought were really interesting and I found her to be probably the most interesting character here. I did like the way she just dropped into meditation wherever and whenever. Mm-hmm. That was pretty great. Right. All right. So let's talk about how this grew. <laughs> the David signal for, yeah. okay, cool. The Don't David, care. The Moving David on. segue. All right. Um, so this story influenced Phil K. Dick in a huge way. Um, and I think that the first way that it did was definitely the question of what makes or the overall question of uh, the spiritual nature of humanity and what it means to be pure thought, I think that that a young Philip K. Dick was probably just really inspired to think in these grand themes and 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 have a story that had meaning, you know, right. that wasn't just you know pew pew. Right, it wasn't uh, the action man? Yeah, just strictly the action man going out and defeating the bad guys. Right. And he said that he felt this was a perfect story that, that it just stuck with him. And I'm sure when he was tripping balls and like, you know, talking about it, he hadn't read it in a long time. So he wasn't looking at it as closely as we were, but, um, you know, it's one that he, he thought of often. And I think that the other, what was the other aspect you said, Larry, that you felt like, um, and I definitely think this story had, was influenced by Lovecraft because Lovecraft was publishing at this time. Yeah. And I think just the way it was, the the structure of it and the, the way the narrative was set up. Yeah, it, it does read Lovecraft. And it has the same kind of chapter breaks in a short story with the Roman numerals and all that. Right. And, and, and I'm it, pretty it sure. It has an immense fear of the other. Yeah. Which yeah. permeates everything Lovecraft ever wrote. Yeah. And, and so I didn't see that really come out of, uh, PKD's, uh, pantheon, but what, what, what you definitely see that comes out of this story that has a PKD feel is like the way the whole story addresses sociology. Well, it's also in how lens. they communicate among each other through kind of the like telepathy. Or yeah. just trying to feel each other's presence. Precogs. Right. Yeah, it's like a proto precog. Yeah. Hmm. I was waiting for somebody to, to go Extra sensory cognition is what they're going for in this one. Yeah. What'd you say, Larry? Extra sensory cognition. Whatever that means, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> there was lots of wackadoo science in the story. Oh, yeah. For, uh, so there was my, that. My point was you can definitely also- see. I like that there was no plastic. Sorry. Sorry, Anthony. There was no plastic? Well, when I first thought of the, of the tube that she comes in, I automatically thought it would be plastic. But then thinking of the era, the Probably time machine glass. that she used, right. yeah. it's metal uh-huh. with glass, like you said. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. I really liked that it, it predates plastic. 
You know, and I feel really stupid about this, but I didn't know that dictograph was like an actual thing. And I asked my father and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that yep. was a recording device back then. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea you didn't know what that was. Yeah, I just I ah. didn't know. But so it happens. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, the overall themes of this story, I just, you know, it do, it has a PKD feel. It feels like a story like. Now, do we say that, though, just because we know it greatly influenced PKD, so we were going into it looking for things that probably influenced him? Would we feel the same way if we had read it not knowing that it was a big influence on him? Okay. Yes, we would read we, it differently, we, I think. We would read it differently if we did not know that. And if and I think the one thing that is not very PKD is the kind of far future thing. He didn't really do that a lot. He didn't go millions of years into the future. No, like, I think he was more of an alternate reality, alternate history yeah. Yeah. type. So I think that is very not PKD, but, um, and so I... But it is sort of like going to a colony. Yeah, I suppose. I think that's stretching it, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, it's kind of like it. It's like, it, well, except for... Well, that's the case, then, in every book we've read so far that, well, they, yeah, they, they always do. Even in Eye in the Sky, <laughs> they go to several colonies, if that's the case. Well, and, and they go to a co- but they don't go to a colony and commit genocide we don't think uh. but you know so i think that the the overall themes of you know the socio political aspects of it is a huge part of what makes it pkd so well anyways um i think we're i don't know does anybody else have anything else to say about a last thinking cuz we're getting on to about a half an hour and that's what we were looking for yeah i'm good i'm good yeah, uh, this is a really cool story. So I think that people who are really serious dickheads, you know, if you can track it down, read it. Yeah, read it. Check it out. Um, and, uh, we'll talk to you next time on Dickheads. Thanks for joining us for this cool, uh, look into the influences of PKD. We're going to do this again with a full novel at some point with one of the ones that was a huge influence on him. So keep your, um, ears peeled for that. And uh, let us know if you like hearing these kinds of things about the work that influences him, because this is something that I think uh, we might want to do more of. Yeah. So. And keep it paranoid. Stay paranoid. Stay paranoid.